Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back for another episode of the Square Pizza Pod. Um, in this episode, we interviewed Noel Harmon, the executive director and president of the Asian and Pacific Islander American Scholars Organization. Um, they are the nation's largest scholarship provider for Asian and Pacific Islander um, students across the country. Um, and a really fun conversation where we covered everything from urban planning to the great city of Toledo, Ohio, and the important work she's doing and her organization's doing, as well as what we can all do to support the Asian and Pacific Islander American community in our country. Um, so I think you'll really enjoy this episode, the slice of the square pizza pod, um, and double shout out to everybody and all of our new listeners who have been subscribing to the podcast and sharing some of the last few episodes have been some of the most listened to. Um, so we certainly notice that and appreciate it. Thanks for all the support. Hope you guys enjoy this one with Noel. And you're in DC, right? Yes. I'm just, I'm in Maryland, just outside of DC. Oh, cool. Um, Bethesda? No, much farther north than that. Okay. I'm in um, Clarksburg, which is almost to Frederick. Okay. We did one project in Bethesda a few years ago. Oh, yeah. So that's why it came top of mind. Yeah, I if I worked in corporate and not in nonprofit, I could live in Bethesda, but, you know. It was actually... live in Bethesda. Yeah, it was actually, I don't know much about Bethesda, as you can tell, it was actually a nonprofit we worked with, but I think it was, it was like um, a sister nonprofit that was connected to like a for-profit tutoring company. Uh, oh, nice. But like a local kind of tutoring mm-hmm. company in Bethesda. Very cool. But it's a nice area, especially this time, right? Before it gets too hot. Yeah, it's so lovely here. And then it just, you know, it switches. Sometimes it's in June. Um, sometimes we have a really nice June, but then all of a sudden it's just like, bam, it's summer and you are just doused with sweat when you step outside on your porch because of the humidity. I was just having this conversation. You got to like between like March and mid-May, you got to get a, a few of those weeks in where like pre-humidity comes in and you just can't walk at all. Yeah. It's I, when I, when, you know, we were like working downtown you would always see in the summertime families that have like decided to come to Washington, DC to see all the monuments and do all the museums. And there'd be like mom and dad, you know, trekking along um, and their kids like red face and sometimes (laughs) crying and super tired. And you're just like, that's how I feel. Only I have to go to a meeting now, but um, it's just that hot. I still give my parents hell because one of the vacations I took us to was dc like in seventh grade and had to be of course it gets hotter every year i tell the story yeah it had to be like 120 degrees and we of course want to do the monument thing so we just walked from monument to monument and had to be you know um close to dehydration and other situations but um they don't appreciate when i tell that story but nonetheless that's my connection to the monument dc story yeah yeah um it's, it's definitely a must do, but maybe if we could all just think about a like, better time of year. When... I think I think you were very wise. You were very wise. Okay, speaking about being wise, we appreciate you joining the Square Pizza Pod today, Noel. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I love it. And 
we just had a little discussion about a square pizza and the importance of that on Friday. So <laughs> I am honored to be here and be part of it and be considered like, you know, square pizza, which is a good thing. That's right. hundred Yeah. We think, you know, around these parts, we hold high regard for square pizza and certainly you. So I think all good things moving forward now. Um, but want to kind of start, I think we both have a quick overlap with the Midwest. Uh, I grew up in Ohio and uh, researching you, um, spent you spent a good amount of time in Iowa so I'd love to hear a little bit more about Iowa from your perspective yeah no I love Iowa I spent all my childhood wanting to get out of Iowa and Mm. saying you know oh I want to live in the big I had posters of New York City in my room and uh, I just wanted to leave but I I grew up in Des Moines yep and then um, I went to Iowa my mom my entire childhood she would not want to hear this, but she worked on her PhD the whole time I was in school, so like okay. third grade all the way to college. And so oh, I went wow. with so her. She took, she took her time. Yes. And so I went with her to, that was back in the day when she had to live on campus for a little bit of it. So I started going to the University of Iowa's campus when I was very young. Mm. And that was also in the 80s when you could leave your children just sitting outside. <laughs> um, and so I would just sit by the river and hang out and you know so I I really really liked that campus from a very young age so that's where I went to um undergrad and then for my master's I went to Ball State which is in Indiana so not that far away and then I made my way back to Iowa for my PhD in 2009 so I spent a lot of time there and I have to say since being on the east coast now for over 10 years um I really I mean it's so cliche but I see all the value in the midwest Mm. We meet people out here and you can just feel it. And you're like, you're from the Midwest, aren't you? And then if they're really nice, you're like, you're from Iowa. And they're like, yeah. You meet these people and you know, they're like Midwestern, nice, you know, because sometimes out here you, you see someone and when you're from the Midwest, right, you make eye contact, you smile, you're like, oh, hi, you know, and you're not like trying to be best friends or anything. But out here, you do that to people, you make eye contact, number one, and then number two, you smile, and they're like, what do you do? Like, are you going to tell, like, what's this about, you know? And you're like, oh, wow, okay. So, Iowa is, I have a fun, fun place. I don't know about the Buckeyes now, or the Ohio State University, but I definitely, fondness for the Midwest. Um, I'm not going to argue about our kinship regarding the Midwest. I may argue about you know, the tone in which you said the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, but I'll save that, of course. <laughs> I'll save that, of course, for later. <laughs> um, would you see yourself ever going back to Iowa and or Ohio? Uh, so I would definitely say I have family that's still in still, Iowa. Okay, I don't know if I would live there again, but, you know, only because at this point, you know, my fam- we're, my, my family, we're, we're pretty entrenched here in the DC area but um my best friend still lives in Iowa City and um so we have a lot of chances to get back so I I am truly very fond of it that's great and just one more I think tip on the Midwest just because Ball State and Mac schools don't get a lot of love um Mm -hmm. or maybe not as much as they should knowing and I grew up in Toledo so University of Toledo BG are near and dear to me those, those schools um so I'd love to hear your favorite part, either about Muncie, Indiana, or just Ball State. Oh, you know, I, I had a wonderful experience um, in 
at Ball State. Yep. Amazing kind of professional development experience for sure. Okay. But again, I would say very tight community. Yep. And um, that is a school that has grown tremendously in the last 10 years for mm-hmm. sure. And so, um, you know, when you are looking into your master's, you're really looking at like honing in on a skill or a craft and Ball State has one of the best student affairs um, programs out there in the country. And so I was really um, honored to have been through their their uh, master's program. That's cool. It's good to hear you don't maybe hear enough love about those schools, but in particular Ball State. So I wanted to make sure you gave them some credit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And hey, my parents lived in Toledo for Is that right? 10 years. Really, I love Toledo. That's another city that's up and coming. They have a great zoo. It's becoming a real foodie city so yeah well you're quickly becoming our favorite podcast guest uh within the first 10 minutes giving all this love to toledo in the midwest my aim that's my aim do they enjoy toledo i guess you're gonna yeah, say they, you know they ended up moving away a little bit but you know when they first moved there i was um i guess i was a sophomore in college i was at iowa yep. and i was very bitter about my parents like moving on with their life and going somewhere else. How How dare they? (laughs) And so my first trip home was at, you know, the holidays um, home, Toledo. And I made Mm -hmm. it very clear to everyone they introduced me to, like, I don't, this is not my home. I don't, you know, the 10 years later, it really grew on me, great community. And the downtown has been a real, um, it's been really fun to see that downtown Toledo area take off. Yeah, shout out to the Mudhens. Spent a lot of time downtown at Mudhens games, at least since the new stadium. Um, and to your point, growing up, you just like go to the zoo in Toledo, like it's a zoo, like whatever. And as you get older, your parents and grandparents tell you it's like the best zoo in America. And growing up in Toledo, you know, you love Toledo, but like there's nothing here that's the best thing in America. Like we like it, but like, and then you leave and you're like, shit, they might have been right. This is like a really cool zoo by this time. Yeah. I mean, your perspective as a kid, what do you, you don't right. have that, but, and you're probably not as a child, like too into glass. Yeah. That's Toledo's other big, you know, uh, claim to fame right is um, the glass manufacturing and then as an adult you're like this is pretty cool yeah it, it, you know all perspective right um, no I feel like I I should be you know I'm not officially uh, in any way aligned to the city of Toledo but I feel mm-hmm. like right now they should be giving me some sort of like right. you know for all of my knowledge and and uh, praise for a great city yeah, it feels like you have a future at the Chamber of Commerce <laughs> or maybe like some commission-based role recruiting people to uh, Toledo. To um, mid-sized Midwestern cities, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's perfect. <laughs> also want to talk about with the research, so I, you know, these two things that I think aligning more with your day-to-day work and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like this is a good place to start. So like we saw in 2009, you did a dissertation around the experiences of Black college female student-athletes at PWIs. And then fast forward 11 years to 2020, an open letter regarding how at least your husband, but also black football players were treated at the football program in Iowa, given the revelations that came there and largely other football programs across the country. Um, so those two things seem to obviously be connected by your, your lived experiences. And we'd love for you to share more about those with the listening audience. Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, so, I mean, I'm a person of color, but I wasn't a college athlete, but my, my husband was, and, um, and when I was back at the University of Iowa working on a PhD, my graduate assistantship was in athletic student services, which was mainly because, you know, the thread through my, um, my professional life had always been working with underrepresented first generation, often low income students, and so working in athletics 
um, you work with a lot of students that are in um, those categories um, that fall in those demographic groups. And so um, I, I started to notice that, you know, especially on a predominantly white campus, um, the athletes who are being recruited from um, really urban areas oftentimes, and then um, without much thought to sort of what that cultural transition might be like to come to, we just joked about these great cities in the Midwest, but they're very different than, you know, living in the heart of Queens, um, New York, and, and growing up in very, you know, tight spaces, and, um, you know, with a very different culture, to be honest. Sure. And so, um, so I did my dissertation looking at, and because I had worked in athletic student services, was granted um, access to the athletes to do a qualitative study on their experiences mm-hmm. and really found um, that unfortunately, most of the athletes, both male and female, but I was looking at female athletes at the time, had experienced very direct um, racist incidents, whether they were, you know, within the university or they were external and in the in the city, in the town. Um, and, you know, and so I think, um, and that, you know, my husband is he's 13 years older than me. He went to the university in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, talking a little, little different time period, but certainly far less people of color <laughs> in, yep. in the early eighties. And, um, and so his experiences, it just wasn't a thought, you know, to think about how you might support an athlete, um, a, a black athlete, what their mm-hmm. experience might be. And you fast forward to today, as you were saying, um, and I think that there is still not only a lack of understanding, but kind of a, a value placed on, you know, creating a better experience for students when they're in college and okay. acknowledging that they may need some transitional um, programming and support services, um, either from other athletes like, um, like himself uh, or or, you know, formal programming that helps them kind of understand, like, what is the culture here and how might it be different from, you know, where you're from and what are supports that you can pull from, you know, as you, um, as you start your college career. Yep. And have you seen, I know it's overdue, but I guess fresh in terms of like the, the um, revelations specifically with that football program, but have you seen any hopeful turnaround and changes or attitudes there? Well, I mean, I think generally speaking, um, there is attention being paid. And I think that's a first step for sure to acknowledge that there may be some issues or there may be lack of understanding. So that's, you know, progress. Now, I think the more important thing is what do you do with that? Um, Do you, you know, get up in front of the cameras and cry about how bad you feel about something? Or do you actually make real change Mm. and um, create new new opportunities for students, policies, programs, et cetera, that change their lives while they're there. So I think that's as yet to be determined um, across the board is what are people and programs willing to do um, to actually support them. I think it's a moment where they have a choice to make it about themselves and what they didn't know and how much better they need to be at this versus, um, gosh, not only did I not know about it, I need to do something about this now. And there's a difference there. So hopefully we'll see the, the latter more. Yeah, to your point, I think that difference is really important. Not only naming it, but acting on it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and we'd love to kind of, you know, use that as perhaps a transition into what you're doing now um, with your current work and the organization you're working at, Asian and Pacific Islanders, American Scholars. Um, can you tell the people quick 30, 60, 120 seconds what your yeah. incredible work you guys are doing there? 
Yep, we're um, so API Scholars is uh, the nation's largest nonprofit scholarship organization. Um, I would say we were born as a scholarship organization, but we're really pivoting as we get close to our 20th anniversary in 2023 yep. to being an organization that is really providing holistic student services to students to ensure that they get to and through school, um, their post-secondary um, schooling uh, and into the workforce uh, with purpose and intentionality. And so not only you know, are we an organization that offers scholarships, but we also are offering programming to support their experience and their success through college. Yeah, and I think obviously with you and the organization, I was like scholarships are um, you know, a must and helpful, but likely the holistic services that come behind it and even before it, um, don't want to say have more value, but are certainly needed as well. Um, and maybe for those that don't know as much about your organization, can you talk about some of those holistic um, services and how important those are? Yeah. And, and first, I would just kind of set the stage to say, I think a lot of people in, in recent events, you know, the Asian Pacific Islander community has been in the spotlight um, quite a bit in the last several months for mm -hmm. this rise in kind of anti-Asian bias and harassment and really violence that we have seen. Um, and, and so, you know, given that, I would just share with your audience that this, you know, Asian, we, we also, we tend to think about um, the Asian community as this like really homogeneous community. A lot of times we're thinking un, unspoken, we're thinking um, Chinese, Japanese, Korean mm -hmm. um, people. And we're Asian, and I'm using air quotes, is <laughs> make, you know, we're made up of 48 distinct ethnicities encompass over 300 different languages spoken. Um, we are the fastest growing um, racial group. Um, we're on track to being the largest immigrant, immigrant group in, in the US by 2055. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I, I wanna say uh, it's like, we're in 48 different, or not 40, um, 14 different countries. I mean, it, it's just wow. a very diverse community. Yeah. And so to serve, the Asian community means serving many different cultures um, and students for us, students that speak, you know, 300 different languages. That's that right there is a signal of this, the, the breadth of the diversity. Um, and so, yeah, we are looking at um, specifically, and I'm sure when, you, when you're talking about education today in May of 2021, you have to take into account what everybody has been through this last year. Right. And so we are looking at um, mentorship is one of our biggest program areas, really um, trying to connect people, not only because that's always been important to have a mentor in your life to help you through, but also, um, you know, we are trying to get better at helping students make decisions about the career they want, not just mm -hmm. the job. So matching students who are going into an industry with someone who's in that industry um, that can help them, you know, kind of assess earlier on if this is the right thing for them, if they really want to go to X, Y, or Z. Um, and then another big area that we're focused on, and we're starting our programming now in May, Happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage right, Month. That's coming you. up, yep, for that question. Um, actually, you should wish that to me, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> um, I yeah, as we go into, you know, this this month, but also this summer, we're really concerned about our students' um, mental health and wellness. Mm -hmm. um, they, we did a survey about a year ago, about this time last year. So we were only a couple months into the pandemic at the time. And about 67% of our scholars reported experiencing depression on, you know, various levels. 67%? Um, yeah, 67%. Wow. And so... 
Um, and that, you know, we've had a lot of, of varying degrees of, of uh, our students reporting, you know, experiencing just a really difficult year. And so, of course, we're concerned about that on a personal level. We're also concerned about that as it relates to their decisions to stay in college, to stay sure. in school, to um, enter, you know, school, whether it's their first, second, third or fourth year mm -hmm. to go ahead and make that choice to um, to enter school this fall. And so we're going to be doing programming all summer long that varies from very specific um, resources for them on these topics, but also, um, you know, some levity. We're, we're hosting a comedy show and we're going to have some wow. comics um, not only, you know, kind of do comedy, but also um, just have real conversations to normalize the idea that this has been a hard time yep. for everyone. And um, and to be able to express that and even to just connect people on a person to person level again, yep. Um, yep. you know, we want to have that opportunity too. I love the idea of the comedy show that came from um, maybe searching or thinking about with you and your team about what else you could do to your point to bring more levity to the situation. Yeah, we were really, um, we wanted to, you know, it's just so stressful. We wanted a moment to like laugh. Yep. And, um, and then we are working with a podcast called Asian, not Asian, okay. uh, Mike and Fumi there. And, uh, they're very, we've had them at some of our student events before. Cool. And, you know, on a serious note, I think they also really encourage us to think about, um, yes, levity and laughing is like so important, yep. but also knowing that what you're experiencing is normal and that others are experiencing it can yep. be just as powerful, um, yep. to, you know, to your mental wellness. Um, and, and so having that opportunity to, to hear people that maybe you look up to or that you're, you know, you've heard of or whatever say, yeah, I, I, I feel this as well. I talked to somebody about it. I have found a counselor or a medical professional to kind of help me through this. I think a lot of times, especially cause we're just living in our own homes, you know, you're like, it's just me <laughs> and it's not just you. And right. to have the opportunity to hear that's really important. Yeah, that's really good. And going back to part of the services you were talking about, almost like matching or mentoring. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, some of our work has, we've done more work in just representation, but diverse educators as well, and knowing how important matching, um, um, you know, let's say an African-American student or an Asian student with an Asian teacher um, in those careers to understand that representation of, oh, you look like me and you have this experience too. What would it look like for me to um, think about following the same career you did. Um, so it sounds like, is that similar to what you all are thinking about in this mentoring process? Yeah, uh, we work um, with a company called Mentor Collective and we um, really work hard to try and, I mean, mentors, like I, I was saying, can serve lots of different you know, purposes, whether it is just um, for a first generation student, having someone help them navigate through a lot of things that um, those who are not um, may, may know that social capital, that you know, ability to kind of like, what are the secrets um, to being successful? Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also the um, the layer of cultural understanding and, and helping people, you know, make sense of the culture that they've grown up in and, um, and what is this mainstream work culture and the expectations that sometimes collide or create tension there to have someone help you navigate through that or normalize it. Um, it's also you know, something that we try and, and look for as well. Yeah. And how long are, are you all staying in touch along the way with the students once they graduate college or placed in careers? What's like that transition for your program, I guess, program services look like? Yeah. So that's a big goal of ours. It hasn't been historically done 
um, rigorously. And sure. we want to be able to do that because um, I think that, you know, we're one of the uh, family of partners in the Gates Millennium Scholars Program that is, um, has been going on for many years. And, and we do um, track those students that have been a part of that um, pretty rigorously. But our own, for our own scholarship, the API Scholar Scholarship, as well as the um, Anapizi. Do you know what an Anapizi is? I feel like okay. I should say yes. I'm gonna be honest <laughs> and say no and be vulnerable. I love it. I'm gonna be vulnerable. So tell me, tell me more. So um, an Asian American, Native American, Pacific Islander serving institution. Okay. I was much like your right. Hispanic serving institution, or I know you know what an HBCU is. Sure. These are all um, federally funded post-secondary institutions um, that get federal funds to support those specific populations. Got it. So enough. for HSIs and on a PZs, um, it's based on you know percent of the population that yep. is that falls in one of those categories. And so um, we have a special scholarship that we do in partnership with some of our on a PZ institutions, yep. for example. Um, UNLV, Hunter College, um, these schools have you know, over 10% of their populations Asian Pacific Islanders. So we join with them to do a last dollar scholarship for those students. That's great. Um, and so, yeah, so. Thank you for your education and your grace there. Um, well, you know, usually we, we joke, um, actually the previous president, he used to always say, um, do you know what an onapesi is? And of course people are like, I don't even know what you're saying. And uh, he would say, it's not a communicable disease. <laughs> I, I used to joke about that, but now I'm like, no, it's serious. Cause I mean, it's just, why would you necessarily, but we want to get the word out more about, sure. about them. And, um, and certainly there are some that are very familiar to people know what UNLV is. And, you know, we want to make sure people know that that's not a PZ. That's great. I mean, I love the approach too, to extend the services because, you know, one could argue um, that's not maybe necessarily uh, you know in your guys's lane or an organization like yours to extend all the way out. But I think probably what you've seen and what other organizations have seen too is that if not you, who else is going to do it? But these needs and services are still there. So kudos for you all for naming that and then likely raising funds and hiring staff and building out more programs to extend that support for those scholars. Yeah, no. Um... My background before I, um, I, I worked in student affairs and then I went into policy here in DC. And I really, I started working um, in areas that kind of married college completion and economic development. So yep. that's, while it was um, fun with you to talk about cities, I actually have a background in working with cities hmm. to increase their college completion. And, you know, there's a real, uh, there's actually, it's called a talent dividend. There's an actual, you know, metric around um, cities that have a highly educated population. Those cities do really well. And so that's the lens. Um, I worked with cities that had to have five different sectors at the table. Um, so they have, you know, whether it is your K-12 superintendent, your mayor, your, um, your presidents of the higher education institutions. Yeah. Um, the medical field, you know, the medical sector, you know, they all had to work together to put um, a pipeline project. So birth all the way to college completion, because yep. all of these people in cities have skin in the game yep. in wanting their population to become educated, um, to retain, uh, attract and retain talent in those sure. communities. So I bring that lens to this work. I think yep. it's really important to see a long game. And that means that scholarships can't be the only answer. Yep. Um, it's really important that we are addressing 
all of the things that impede a student's ability to be successful through college. And those of us that have been through college know that it's not just about doing well in school, um, that there are many uh, potential setbacks. And when you layer in first generation, um, potentially um, just you know, lower income, uh, other things that play into the college experience, um, it can really get layered in terms of uh, the odds of you um, completing in four to six years. Yep. And that was your work from Say Yes to Education. Is that right? Previously? Yes. I worked um, for Say Yes to Education, which was a, you know, we really looked at um, building pipeline initiatives. In citywide work. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, when I was at CEOs for Cities, which was a, an organization formed by Mayor Daly in Chicago, sure. um, we, that is where we launched with the Kresge Foundation and Lumina Foundation the talent dividend, which was a contest. Yep. And then I think there were 75 plus cities. Toledo was one of them um, that competed. What did it do? To, uh, Toledo do? They didn't know, but guess who won that competition? Uh, yeah. Iowa City. No, well, that would have been amazing. Um, but no, it was Akron, Akron, Ohio. Akron, go Zips. Yes. Right, I'll take yes. that. Close enough yep. to Toledo. Yep. So, um, but Buffalo in New York was one of, you know, the top um, cities. And, yep. you know, it's really fascinating what you can do when you put unlikely partners together to mm -hmm. rework on systemic problems, to really mm -hmm. focus on how can we work differently um, to solve really big issues. And that requires people to think outside the box and work yes. differently. And also to say, this isn't a zero sum game. Like, 100%. you know what, when this, when this particular community has a 12%, you know, on grade level reading in, in third graders, yep. that's a problem. And that problem will grow and exacerbate and touch all of these other areas within that community at some point. Yeah. So, um, so I love that kind of work. It's really messy and really difficult, yep. but I think um, I bring that lens to yep. my current work in that scholarships are great and financial barriers can can make a huge difference in someone's ability to progress. But at the same time, you know, we also have a lot of anecdotes to say that even if you have a full ride scholarship, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be equipped That's right. um, to face all the challenges ahead of you into not only a job, but a career. Yeah. That's so cool. I appreciate that lens. Um, I was an urban planning major and so separate conversation, but we can definitely uh, bond about, you know, our, our best urban uh, planning policies and whatnot. Um, but then, yeah, also to your point, I mean, you know, without calling out any cities, particularly in the one I'm currently sitting in or in others, it, every year around budget time, when like city, county are talking about like school districts and who's funding what, there's always like beef right around like, and you know, there's financial dollars and real dollars and that sort of stuff. But to your point around working together and that it's all connected within this system, um, that if we aren't working together and thinking collaboratively, the way you're talking about, we're going to continue to get the results, particularly for um, certain groups of students that we've had for the duration of our country. And so, it, you know, encouraging to hear some of that work and some of the progress being made either now or previously from the work you've done. Yeah, I mean, that's that you can take that a step further and look at where we're at as a country right now and in, in a, on a larger scale and say we need to take that mentality up, you know, um, and we've been thinking a lot about that um, as we have worked together with other um, nonprofits in the Asian community to um, put statements out and to be as supportive as possible during this like really disgusting show of just racism yep. towards the mm -hmm. Asian community in, in the months of late. Um, but really to say also 
that, you know, how can we look at standing together across communities of color as well to support one another and to really um, fight against the narrative, um, well, or against a system that kind of pits communities of color, you know, against each other. And instead to say, wow, you know, we are uh, not to be, you know, cliche, but like we are stronger together and um, we want to support each other. So I work closely with um, the president of the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and the president of the, um, it's called the uh, Native American, the, um, oh my gosh, the um, American Indian Graduate Center. Yeah, Um, Angelique, Albert. These scholarships, yeah. And, you know, and thinking through how we even work differently together to make sure that we're talking about each other, to make sure that we are um, promoting each other's work um, is is a muscle that is not something that most nonprofit presidents are doing because we, we are starting to share um, funders and starting to 100%. share um, all of that so that we can say, you know, just because you're getting X amount of funding doesn't mean I'm getting less. Like that's yes. just not literally how it works. Yep. Um, at the same time, that's kind of the narrative that's out there. And so you learn to hold information close. You learn to... Um, you know, almost kind of have a hoarding mentality of like, I'm going to take everything that I'm given and just, you know, kind of hold on to it. Um, we, the three of us have really worked hard over the last several months to, to be the opposite of that, to share as much as possible, whether it's information or introduce each other to one another's funders. Mm-hmm. And the result is like amazing. It's just abundance yep. and it is, you know, a whole different mentality. So excited to to, um, to kind of just share that because I think that's yeah. not something that everybody's able to do. Um, we're not set up to do it that way. Yeah, I mean, not that you need our encouragement, particularly mine, but I think please keep going because I think so much of what we've seen either with previous podcast guests and also just in our own work that um, when that abundance mentality and mindset is taking it from you know a collective of leaders like the ones you just described, it is good for everybody involved. Um, and to your point, not one that's like taught in nonprofit leadership 101 or maybe grad school, but one that I think mindset could be an element of game changing um, work moving forward, which perhaps could be connected, I think, to what was some of the next um, kind of, I think, a pretty big announcement, right, really in the country, but specific to Asian American executives with $125 million, um, I think, initial donation or grant to the Asian American Foundation. Um, to combat some of this current racism we you've just described, as well as continue to support the Asian American community. Um, can you tell the audience more about that? Yeah, you know, um, we have seen that as, you know, just one nonprofit out there in the sea of, um, of those nonprofits that support the Asian community in, in one way or another. Um, you know, many um, corporations um, have have, and I imagine, you know, the execs that are part of this um, commitment are, are leading organizations too, that they have also um, generously uh, committed um, funding to support, you know, not only in, in this case, you know, the ability to support nonprofits and, and causes that are, um, that are going on, but also it's just, it's a signal um, of representation. It's a signal about the Asian American community, I think for some, um, you know, this is new. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening or that this happened. As we've seen in the black community as well, you know, this is not new. The Asian American community has experienced this level of bias, harassment, assault, that type of thing. We have these cell phones now that capture all of this, right? 
Um, but this, this is not new. These challenges are not new. For some folks in the Asian American community, especially you know leaders in the um, civil rights movement of the Asian community are like banging their heads against the wall. They're like, this is not a new thing, people. We have experienced this and we've been trying to be at the table. And, you know, I speak here from DC where there's lots of tables that you can be at, but sure. we, not only API scholars, but certainly the, in the Asian community have not always been um, invited, not always been intentionally excluded, but just not thought about. Yep. And so with um, these leaders specifically, but also, you know, other major companies coming out and making statements of support, um, putting dollars behind that, it's actually um, collectively really elevating um, the Asian community as a whole to say that, you know, we see, we see you, <laughs> number one, yep. and we know that um, this is not right and we stand with you. And, and that's very important um, for not only the Asian community to hear, but I think for communities at large to kind of see this, um, this play out and it's highlighted in right. a way that it hasn't for many years. Yeah, I think for the listening audience, a pretty new announcement as of this week or maybe late last week. So it sounds like certainly more details and probably more funds and capacity to come with that announcement to support the Asian American community. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and so we actually have a guest question in yeah. um, from one of our actually previous fellows, but current educator um, in Charlotte as well, and just a great person in general. But so Gia Lynn, thank you, Gia. Shout out to you for the question but says, what can we do to elevate the work of other Asian Americans as well as other BIPOC identifying people across the country? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that we're seeing is people just talking about um, all of the work that's being done. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, we've been out there sharing our work for, and we've been around 17 years, um, yep. but now people are interested. Well, what do you guys do? And what are your specific programs and how can we help? And and I think the more that we're able to find platforms to share that, we're connect, we're coming together. I mean, that's one of the big um, silver linings of this kind of last few months is that the Asian American community is coming together mm -hmm. and we are really promoting each other's work. And so we um, are, I'm in meetings with, with uh, organizations I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I'm 20 years old too. Nobody knows what we do, but we put out amazing X, Y, and Z. And so I think um, once, you know, with the snowball is, is there. And I think, you know, um, learning about what's going on, sharing it, you know, being part of this cycle is really important. So I think the more that you can um, learn about organizations like us, that we will lead you to, other, if you go on our website, you'll see our partners and you might be like, oh, what is the um, Center for Asian Pacific Island American Women? Like, oh, well, we work with them a lot and here's what they are doing. And and um, so it's it's almost like this great kind of snowball resource effect. Yeah, I like that too, because not, uh, you know, anybody can share, can research, can can find ways to plug in to support. And so appreciate um, the applicability of that quote or of that tip. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the, how you guys are responding to COVID and supporting your students and scholars through COVID and some of, I think the challenges, but curious from your position as a leader um, in this work, have you seen any bright spots or any bright spots that you're projecting that will happen as a response to COVID? Well, I mean, COVID exacerbated a lot of the inequalities that were already there, mm -hmm. um, specifically in, in education. But we have an opportunity now because they were so, you know, it, it, for example, we have an emergency scholarship 
we opened it up. It was, you know, the pot was over a million dollars and we had to close it within four hours and we had met like hardly any of the need, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many of the students were asking for emergency aid for their basic needs, housing, food, um, technology needs, that kind of thing. I mean, it is, uh, we have yet to fully understand the impact of COVID. At the same time, it has highlighted that there is need in um, not only, you know, communities that are underrepresented and first generation and low income, yep. but for us speaking, you know, just purely from the Asian Pacific Islander standpoint, sure. it's highlighted, oh, wow, Asians have need. And that might sound silly, but we combat that model minority myth all the time. We combat the idea that we're all the same. We all come from the same um, high economic status. Um, and so to have an opportunity to share out the diversity of our community and the fact that, um, you know, so many members of our community from, from places, you know, or that are Hmong or, you know, from Laos or, you know, I mean, there are so many community members who uh, COVID adversely affected it adversely affected their ability then to think about completing entering or completing college and um and so we have to think about ways to, to best and better serve them yep. and and we're able to do that now um, very intentionally with institutions with partners in the in the corporate sector and the higher education foundation sector they are coming to us yep. saying how can we help and how can we partner with you yeah, I think that certainly will be a bright spot of COVID, as you mentioned, even going back to, you said, just understanding um, the depth and diversity within the community, right, of what you said earlier, 40 different ethnic groups and more than 300 languages spoken. Like, I'd imagine if we stopped 10 people on the street and asked them, you know, those numbers or to project those numbers, not many people would understand the level of diversity you have in your community. Yeah, it's um, back in the day when we had actual student events and we had students come yeah. to DC or we, we hosted events. Uh, I distinctly remember one morning um, that we had the students in uh, a hotel and we got up the next morning, everybody was eating their breakfast and I was um, eavesdropping on this conversation. We have students from all over the country, but also Pacific Island. Sure. And they had sat down next to each other and they were like, where are you from? And um, this, this young woman was like, I'm from Saipan. And this other person was like, I'm from the Marianas and I'm from Guam. And people were like, where is that? I don't even know where Saipan is. Like, where, where are you from? And, um, and that was the kind of the conversation that morning. And I was like, if I wish the world could hear this, like yeah. all Asians are not alike. We're not all from the same place. We don't all speak the same language. We're not all, you know, quote, I'm using air quotes, crazy and rich, um, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, to hear that in real time and to hear sure. them, you know, like, I, where are you from? Yeah. Um, it was really cool. And it was a great opportunity to, um, to learn from each other. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I appreciate you um, sharing that. I want to get you out. Uh, I know you're busy on a few kind of final thoughts and give you the final word. Um, whether it's your work, would you know, can certainly encourage you to call that out or others, but what do you think is the most innovative thing happening in kind of the public education or social impact space that you're seeing? I mean, I'll go back to the idea of collaboration. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the most innovative things that you can do right now is to collaborate with your unlikeliest partners. And, um, and I can't prescribe that for anybody, but I think if you think of someone that you don't want to collaborate with, that's probably someone you should be thinking about collaborating mm -hmm. with. Um, because I think that's where we will see true innovation emerge. Um, from different thinking, of thinking outside of the box, 
solving problems together rather than trying to just hoard it to yourself. Like, how can I solve this problem for the benefit of me and for, you know, the people I work with rather than how do we solve this for the benefit of the larger community, the community as a whole. And if you went further there, what more specific advice would you give to a leader either sitting in your seat or, or leading maybe a smaller or a bigger nonprofit that's like, I hear her, but like my board chair is saying this and I got X amount of budget and I got payroll. Like, how do you kind of push them out of the nest, if you will, for that metaphor that like hear these things, but still aren't sure practically how to do that? Well, I would say, I don't know if you've heard of Heather McGee's book, The Sum of Us, but like okay. it, it, to remain closed-minded uh, and to not be able to see the, the value of collaboration costs everybody. Her, the premise of her book is that racism literally costs everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I see that here, um, any resistance to truly working together is going to cost the whole community. So whether that plays out now or plays out later. Sure. Um, and so I would tell people, you know, uh, then to your to your point about your board resistance, or whatever, you have the wrong board. I mean, you mm-hmm. at this point, you need to have people around you that support an idea of advancing um, real change and systemic change. And there's no easy way. I mean, if, if we could do it easily, someone, you know, would be like making a lot of money, patent it, the idea yeah, and yep. be off and running. Right. Um, and so I think we have to we have to start getting used to um, new voices at the table, inviting, you know, new voices and finding, you know, really innovative ways to work together. Yeah. Part two, we're going to have you talk about how to transition board members off your board that don't <laughs> do with that. But we'll, we'll, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to be now. We'll, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> um, but I love the, the practicality of that, of that tip. So thank you. Uh, maybe last formal question, but what does square pizza remind you of? Oh, you know, uh, now I will say I was, we were talking about this before and I was thinking about, um, the idea of joy and what brings us joy. And I think this is a difficult time. Certainly has been a difficult year, but there are these like square pizza moments. And I think Mm -hmm. we have to think about uh, or recognize them for what they are and, and be grateful for that. I found recently that putting my energy to more positive thinking mm-hmm. and, you know, putting that out there, it makes a huge difference. So when there's something that brings us joy, if it's square pizza on Fridays at lunch, then, then we need to own that and enjoy it and live it. And, you know, um, just really embrace it. That's much more articulate than anything I would have said. So I appreciate you articulating <laughs> that and lifting that up. Um, Noelle, any final thoughts you want to give to the community either about where they can find you or what they can do to support the great work you all are doing? Oh, well, thank you so much. Yes. APIA scholars is, is literally just www.apiascholars.org. Yeah, you can find us online. Um, so many of us are, are available to you. All of our emails are on our um, profiles. Please reach out. We absolutely are always looking for volunteers to help us um, either be mentors um, to do our scholarship reads that is over um, for this year, but um, um, we we rely on volunteers. To virtual virtual volunteers possible or only? Yes, DCA absolutely. Area. Yep, cool. everything's virtual right now. Right. So yep. um, uh, yeah, we anybody who might be interested in getting to know us um, uh, through some of those uh, volunteer opportunities, we would love and welcome you to join us. That's great. Yeah, we'll certainly put those links in the show notes and social media so people can find you. Perfect. Um,
as well as some of the articles we discussed. Um, one, let me say again, or more formally, happy AAPIA History Month. Thank you. <laughs> um, should have started with that, but thank you for the grace for letting me get that in. Um, and thanks again for joining and all the great work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. This was so enjoyable. We'll definitely have to do this again. I will not participate in how you move board members off of your board, <laughs> but I would love to participate in any other conversation. So thank you so much. This was a joy. That's great. Thanks so much, Noelle. Take care. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.